we started a uh, series a few weeks ago called Connecting. And we've been talking about the importance of biblical community and what it does in our lives and how we can and get it, how we can get it. And, and listen, I, I believe this with my whole heart. All of the things that we want to be as a church and we need to be as individuals are tied to this concept of community. Be- becoming the church he wants us to be does not take place in a vacuum and neither does your personal intimacy with Jesus. Somehow, uh, along the way, intimacy with Jesus ha- has become completely up to the uh, omnipotent Christian alone uh, as if you can make things happen on your own to, uh, and, and you can do all you need to do on your own. And so what ends up happening is that many of us feel very lonely in our pursuit of Christ and we feel that we're not getting there and we begin to think, well, it's, I'm just so lazy or, or I've just got this sin in my life. And now, now those may be some pieces that need to be dealt with in our lives at times, but the reality is this journey to know Jesus is inescapably corporate. It is, it is to be done together as the people of God. That's why the scriptures said to, to not forsake the assemblings of, of yourselves together. And it wasn't talking about a church service like this because they were meeting from home to home in that day. And so this is really important. The, the reality is we have, we have to solve some things that went awry in, in A.D. 325. We're going to give you a really brief explanation of what I mean by that. What happened is that during that era, the Roman Empire just started to unravel. As it started to unravel, they had this emperor at the time named Constantine. And what he noticed as he looked at his his empire, he, he noticed that Christianity was really flourishing no matter how hard they tried to oppress it and they had tried very hard to oppress it it just kept growing and they tried to kill them and it didn't work they tried to imprison them it didn't work they tried to steal their stuff from them it didn't work no matter how hard they tried to persecute the church that they the thing just kept growing so constantine thought to himself well if i can join rome to this religion Maybe we'll come out of this funk that we're in. Maybe we'll wake up and then maybe I can preserve the Roman Empire rather than watch it implode on my watch. So Constantine converts to Christianity and he makes a declaration and says Christianity is now the Roman religion. Now I want you to understand this. Look at me and hear this clearly. In that instant, what had always been about people became an institution. In that moment, in fact, that's what led to uh, the, the practices of, of people buying offices in the church because suddenly now the church was the religion of Rome and therefore it was tied in politically. And as it got tied in politically, uh, people re- began to realize this church has a lot of power and influence in the kingdom. So if you were wealthy, you could go to, to the emperor, you could go to the, uh, the bishop or the pope or whoever it was at the time, and they'd say, listen, I will make this massive donation if you'll make me a priest, if you'll make me a bishop. And they would give that to them based on their money, and it became an institution instead of about people. So uh, what, what happens is the, the problems that were birthed in our faith in AD 325, they're still trying to be solved today because Jesus never called us to be an institution. He called us to be a body and things get broke, broken very quickly when you can join an institution without joining the body. 
So this morning we have to go pre-AD 325. And I know some of you hear that and you're getting really nervous and you're looking at your watch and saying, good Lord, if he starts in AD 325 and we're, we're in year 2019, are we ever going to get out of here? Well, uh, don't worry, I'm not going to take us all through history. But uh, th- you and I find ourselves caught up in something that is bigger than most of us can really even fathom. And I want us to take a look at what it looked like to follow Jesus in its purest day. And hopefully we can take that and we can begin to fight for that in our lives and in our church. Uh, now, I, I want to say this to you uh, just to, to begin with, because I don't want you to, I, I, I never want to mislead you. I want to be honest with you in every, everything that I can. But I want you to know this, community and doing life together is a really romantic idea. I mean, it's an idea that sounds so nice and sounds so wonderful, but it's an idea that is actually very difficult to achieve. Let me show you some things in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So in its purest days, in its first days, this is the picture we get of what the people of Jesus are supposed to look like and supposed to be like. Now, I don't want to throw you know, any, any romance into this text because the, the reality is this sounds beautiful, but this is actually a very difficult time. I want you to imagine your mind, just the logistical side of it. Try to imagine thousands and thousands of people coming into a relationship with Christ and you have very few teachers and you really have no materials. How in the world are you going to disciple them? How are you going to teach them what they need to know? How are you going to help them grow in their relationship with God? And the, the reality is that, that in a lot of ways, the, the, this church, the church of Christ, was, a, was sort of a train wreck for a couple hundred years. And, and if you don't think I'm right, uh, the, then, then I want you to, to realize that, that a big part of the New Testament was written because it was kind of a train wreck at times. What I mean by that is almost every New Testament book is filled with attempts to correct things that were wrong. Uh, it was, uh, you know, basically it was, you know, it was, okay, stop that and start doing this. Uh, especially the letters written by Paul. You know, most things written by the Apostle Paul are basically Paul going, you're probably not going to want to go to the temple prostitutes anymore. That's not a good idea. Let's stop doing that. Let's start living like this. So the reality is this time This little summary sounds so pretty and so poetic, uh, but the reality is it's very messy because when you're beginning to get involved with the lives of people and trying to teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that gets messy. It just gets messy because they're human. Is anybody here on the same page? You know what I'm talking about? When you're trying to help somebody grow in the Lord and they just don't seem to get it, and, and, you, and you're, it seems like you're always working on that. Well, this is the way it was like. And I think that every generation since A.D. 325 has been trying to get back to where the church isn't just an institu- institution. Uh, but, it, but it's a body of people trying to live the way of Jesus. And verse 42 gives us a, a list of a, a few things that the followers of Jesus 
were devoted to, but I want to focus on just two of them. The first one is, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Now, listen, we have to really redefine discipleship because discipleship in our age is go through this book, read it together, go through it with another person, memorize these texts, and you're discipled. Voila! You know, it's the discipleship during the early church was not memorizing Philippians 4.13 and putting a fish on your car. You know, it was a lot more than that. Uh, discipleship in the first century was live this way. Live like this. You come and you live life with me. I'm going to show you what it means to live like a follower of Jesus. Jesus said that he came to, that you might have life, not that you might have belief, Belief is important, but belief is merely the doorway to enter into discipleship, into growth in your relationship with Him. And He said that you've come that you might have life and, and you might live that life unto abundance. So He tells the disciples, follow me, which translates into come and live with me, walk with me, uh, eat with me, and live like I live. That was Jesus' model of discipleship. He takes them up on the mountainside right before he sends into heaven. And then he tells them, he says, go and make disciples. And as I've taught you to live, now you teach others to live. And the, 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 see, the idea of discipleship was not about uh, collecting cognitive knowledge, but rather it was this is how we live. And in fact, that's why the followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, it says they were known as the way. Now, I know the way sounds a little cultish. You know, it sounds like there's, there's uh, you know, machine guns and Kool-Aid involved somewhere in that when you're, if you're in the way, you know, but, but it, that, that's not what it meant. They were called the way because they had a way of living that was contrary to the rest, uh, how the rest of the world lived. So the apostles' teaching is not just Theology, although there is theology, and theology is important. We've got to know uh, uh, what the Bible says about the God that we serve. But it's more than just theology. It's also saying we live like this. This is what it means to live the way of Jesus. This is what it looks like. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the second thing I want you to see is they devoted themselves to fellowship. So not only did they devote themselves to learning how to live the way of Jesus, but they also devoted themselves to doing that together. Doing it together. See, when the church becomes an institution rather than a body, then what happens is a person can join the institution without ever joining the body. Let me, let me just explain what I mean by that. A church is an institution. If you can become a member of that church and never actually take part in the life of that church, but just come to church and bring your tithes, you've joined an institution. You're not part of a body because you're not, you're not taking your place in the, in the body. You have separated yourself from the body. And that's where trouble comes along when, when a church becomes an institution instead of a body. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have church membership. We, we need those kind of things, and there are legal reasons why that's important for us and that sort of thing. And, 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 and in my view, I view church membership as a covenant that we make with one another. Uh, you know, marriage is a covenant. Uh, and marriage is a covenant where you, get, you come together and you say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, hopefully for richer, 
but if it's poor, then I'll deal with it, you know, that kind of thing. But we make a covenant to say, no matter what, I'm, I'm with you. And, and that's where America doesn't understand a covenant, and that's why the divorce rate is so high. But church membership is much the same way, where we say, I believe in the vision. I believe that God has called us together. I believe that, that He wants me to be part of the body of Christ. And so, therefore, I covenant with this, this group of believers and say, I give myself to you. I am part of this body for better, for worse, through rich, through poor. doesn't matter what goes on. I'm part of this body of believers. And I'm giving myself to the life of this church. And the church reciprocates by saying, we give ourselves to you. That's what church membership really is. But the reality is, you can be, be, become devoted to the accumulation of knowledge and to doing simple acts of service, but never become devoted to each other. And here's why this is so scary. The, the, the Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron. And the book of Hebrews says, to, it tells us to encourage one another daily. In order to keep my relationship with Jesus from growing really stagnant and growing really cold, I need to really be doing life with somebody else who's following Jesus as well. And if I'm not doing life deeply with someone else, then what that means is there is now no built-in accountability for the actions of my life. And where there is no accountability, then I can continue to suck in knowledge and do nothing with it. Boy, it's quiet in here. I don't mind it when it gets quiet. Usually that means people are chewing on what I'm saying. But here, this group of people has come together and they've said, we're going to live the way of Jesus and I want you to help me get there, and I want to help you get there, so let's devote ourselves to doing this thing together. There is a fierce commitment to one another in the early church that, if you look around, is often lacking in the church world in America today. Here's the thing, we've gotten to a place in the West where, where churches... Uh, we can become so consumed with filling up our buildings that we'll do anything to get people through the doors and then we don't pay attention to whether they ever grow or not. And, and, but and too often in the West, churches are, are saying, let's do what we can to fill this thing up. And there's no real passion for what the Bible says is necessary for us to grow into maturity with, with Jesus, and that is walking together in real committed relationships. So, the early church members devoted themselves not to classes and to books. I mean, there's nothing in the, in the text about them, you know, the new Christians going down to the Christian bookstore and getting Paul's new book or, you know, getting Peter's latest CD, you know, or, or subscribing to the podcast from Jew Jerusalem First Assembly, you know. Uh, now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I do those things. I, I listen to, I don't know, probably... Uh, probably seven or eight at least different podcasts every week and myself. It's a great thing. It's a great resource that we have. But here's what I'm saying. That is not going to disciple me. That podcast is not going to hold me accountable to whether I do anything with the knowledge that I gain from that. That book may, may give me great new insight, but it's not going to help me put it into action in my life. And so there's, those things are great. Those things are wonderful. But if your spiritual development involves you and only you, then what I believe is going to happen is that you're going to grow to a certain point and then you'll find yourself growing cold. Because when you're dealing with yourself alone, trying to 
deal with discipleship alone and you isolate yourself, one of the reasons that will happen is that you will never, ever deal with the blind spots in your life. How many of you know we all have blind spots? You bet we do. Here's the problem with blind spots. By the very definition of the word, you can't see them. You don't know what's there. You'll go through the rest of your life thinking everybody else is the problem. Because you've got a blind spot, something that you can't see and that you don't want to see so that even when the Holy Spirit tries to show it to you, that, that you don't want to deal with it. But when you're doing life together with the people of God and you have developed a relationship like we talked about last week that is deep enough to where the, that your, your friend in Christ, the one who is helping you grow and you're helping them grow, that person can come to you and say, listen, uh, you know I love you. You know I, I'm devoted to you. You know that I'm going to do everything I can to help you grow. But we need to talk about this thing in your life. Are you okay here? See, the thing is, doing life together creates mutual love and care. Verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is a very emotional text. And here's what just happened. Doing, doing life together uh, like this creates mutual care. These people are doing life together in such a way, they're walking together in such a way that when one of them has life go bad, anybody here ever, here ever had life go bad on you? Anybody happen to anybody? Okay, I'm just looking around. If your hand's not up, then you're probably very young. But, but, but they're, they're doing life in such a way that when one of them has life go bad, the others are looking at the situation and saying, we've got to do something to help. We don't have any money in the bank. Here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll sell the boat and we'll give the money to them. Of course, some people might right now might have a boat for sale. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll explain that one later. These people are living out the biblical mandate of mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. There, there's a connection here that when one hurts, they all hurt, and when one rejoices, they all rejoice. And that idea for many people in the church in America is really a foreign idea to many of us. Uh, to be connected at that level where, where the joys and sorrows of others bring joy and sorrow to us. In fact, sometimes what happens in the church, somebody, God blesses somebody, and they get a great new house, and instead of rejoicing with them, we actually resent the fact that we didn't get it. Boy, it's getting real in here. Instead of rejoicing and being happy and saying, Lord, thank you for blessing them. That's what they needed. And if I needed it, you, you would have given me that same thing. You know, there's, an, there's a movie, Hotel Rwanda. And in that movie, there's a part that, that so describes us because we tend to be very idealistic in our minds. But if we were honest, also lazy in our lives. In the, in the movie, a reporter had just filmed these people who were being massacred. And the Rwandans were, were very thankful that it had been filmed, and they were so excited, they were so happy that it was going to be broadcast on the news in America because they said, oh, now Americans are going to see our plight, and, that, and, and if they see what's going on here, they'll help us. But the reporter who, who worked for CNN said, I want to be really honest with you. What's going to happen is that the Americans are going to be eating dinner while watching the news. And they're going to watch it. And they're going to think, how horrible. 
and then they're going to switch over to a sitcom, and they're going to keep eating. See, if we don't fight for this, we can easily become a place where people come in through these doors or people that we know in our lives can, can be really wounded and really hurt, really broken, poor and needy around us. And if we don't fight for this, it's easy for us to look at it and say, oh, isn't that horrible? Hey, let's go get something to eat. Let, let me tell you the danger in that kind of insensitivity. Here's the real danger. I am not this great expert in life, but here's what I know. And some of these I've learned through experience. Eventually, it'll be me in the hospital. Eventually, it's my turn. Eventually, it's my family who gets the bad news. Eventually, it'll be my daughter who goes crazy for two weeks or two decades. Eventually, you lose your job. If, you know, the younger ones in the room, you know, may disagree, but surely if you're over 40, you know that eventually it's your turn. You can tell I have the gift of encouragement. The reality is no one escapes pain forever. And when we isolate ourselves to where we can separate ourselves from the things going on around us, then when we are isolated and it comes into our lives, who do we have? Who do we have? When there's a fierce commitment, not only to teaching and to truth, which I, we, we're going to have that fierce commitment to the truth. We're going to have a fierce commitment to teaching. But there's also a fierce commitment to figure this thing out together. Then what happens is mutual care is created. So much so that people were being moved in this situation to sell their stuff to solve other people's crises. I mean, how often has you, have you really heard about that happening in the modern church? It's a, it's a rarity at best. But not only is mutual care created, but doing life together also, also nurtures love. Verse 20, 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. So, so here's what's happening. I love this. It says they're eating meals together. So they leave the temple and they're hungry. We're very biblical in this. <laughs> we leave the church and we're hungry and say, hey, let's go get something to eat. We're really good at that part. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I'm proud of that part. And so they go to, the, they, they say, let's, we're hungry. Let's, you guys come to my house. Come over to my house. Let's eat there. So they eat and they, and they drink and they laugh and there's gladness and there's confession and there's prayer and they're talking about Jesus and all of a sudden somebody realizes it's 1130 or, or, or 12 o'clock at night and, and somebody, you know, the, the guy who's hosting it says, man, listen, my rooster's going off at five o'clock in the morning. Y'all got to get out of here. You know, I, I got to get up tomorrow. And, and as they're heading out the door, uh, somebody says, hey, let's do this again tomorrow at my house. And the next day they're at it again. They're eating and laughing and drinking and telling stories and, and praying for one another and praying for their neighbors and praying for the, for the church. And, and, it, and, and, it, and it comes time for the night to be over. And as they're heading out the door, someone says, hey, we've got to do this again. My house tomorrow. And it goes on. It says day by day by day by day. See, this sounds really strange to people in the West, but I believe having a meal together, if we understand it, is actually a very holy moment. It's a, it's a time of, of communion where we can get together with people 
you know, and, and it's a lost art in the States. It, it's, you know, you go, you go to other nations, uh, especially the, the, what I'm aware of, in, like in Southeast Asia, when they, when they sit down for a meal, it's, it's you know, at least a three-hour affair. And, and it's because if they're not really there to eat, they're really there to be together and to talk. That, that's what it's all about. And, and they, you know, they, I know a guy, he tells a story about going over there and, and, uh, and how they would laugh together. And, and uh, he, it was in, it, they spoke Chinese, and, and uh, they would give him a word that they knew that it was very difficult for an English-speaking person to say, and they, he'd try to say it, and they'd all laugh and laugh and laugh at him. And then, you know, uh, they have a difficulty saying a, the L sound in the middle of a word. So he'd say, okay, okay, just say this, say welcome. <laughs> and they'd be there saying, welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome. <laughs> and they would laugh together, and they, you know, they built this, this, this intimacy, and this, this, but it happened over this, this, uh, this time of eating together. But, but here in the United States, you know, like if you go out to a restaurant, if you go out to a meal with somebody, if we don't have our drink, appetizer, meal, and ticket in nine minutes, somebody has lost their tip. Am, am I right? You know, you go through a drive-thru, and it takes two minutes and five seconds instead of two minutes flat, and we're like, what's taking you so long in there? You know, well, you can have it raw if you want, you know, go ahead. You know, and so, you know, we, we get upset at the restaurant because it wasn't there in time, and so they lose their tip. But, of course, we, we, we're, we're sure to leave a track so we can identify our cheap selves. Um, but, but there's this lost art of conversation, a lost art of, of connection. And somewhere along the way, the institution has defined uh, potluck dinners and Super Bowl parties and said, that's fellowship. Now, believe me, you all know me. I am not against those things. I'm just saying that that cannot be the full definition of what fellowship is. There's something holy about sitting together and talking together and laughing together and talking about what Jesus has done in life and telling how he saved us and, and telling how he carried us through that week. It's so powerful to sit and share the dreams we have for what Jesus could do in this place and in this city. And, and most of us really don't have deep enough relationships to do that. But here's the thing. Biblical fellowship, and this is why this is hard. This is why this is so difficult. This is why we have to fight for it if we're going to see it in our lives. Biblical fellowship can only happen when all the cards are on the table. Real, deep, biblical fellowship only occurs when we're finally honest about who we are, what's really going on in our lives, what we're struggling with, and what we're doing great at. And we don't do that. We'll talk about the things where we're doing great. But we don't like to talk about where we're struggling. We don't talk, like to talk about the, the, the part that we read in the Bible that, that the Holy Spirit spoke to us and we're really struggling with trying to get that active in our lives. And so we pretend. And here's the thing. If you're a pretender, if for whatever reason, your involvement in the church has lulled you to sleep to the point where you have really no real relationship with Jesus and no real relationship with the people around you, but you just look the right way and you say the right things, then what ends up happening in our lives is that if you're a pretender, you will always struggle to receive love from anybody else. You'll never really feel cared for You'll never really feel liked. 
And the reason is that when no one else is around, when you're in bed and you turn out that light and there's nobody else around and it's just you and it's the Holy Spirit and you're lying there and, and you know that you're playing the part and you know that you're not being honest and you know that you wear the mask, you know then in that moment that people like the fake you, but you're not sure if they'd really like the real you. And so you're afraid to take the mask off and let them see what's really going on. Are you tracking with me? So if you're a liar with your life, if you're walking into church saying, hallelujah, the bread of life never gets stale, you know? (laughs) Because we're famous for those things, Mary Beth. We love our bumper sticker theology. You know, we have our cute little quips and sayings. Uh, but but, But if you're doing that and saying those things, and in reality, in your heart, you're walking into church and you got your smile on and you're shaking hands and you're saying, you're saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. So good to be here, brother. And inside your heart, you're saying, I can't find him anywhere. When people like you and they say, man, I want to hang out with you. Go to lunch with us. There's no way that you can receive that as genuine love or affection because you know that's not the real you. Real fellowship happens when we tell others, this is who I am. This is where I struggle. This is where I'm growing. This is what I'm worried about. This is is what's happening in me. This is me. In that moment, real biblical fellowship happens. Everything else is superficial chatter, which can be a good time, but it's not biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship has sincerity of heart, attached to it has honesty and where we are not honest we are not in fellowship you see how potlucks and super bowl parties fall short of what real fellowship is and you also see the danger in this and why we're so reluctant and that's why that's why getting together and growing close together with a small group is so important because the reality is uh, you know I, I love everybody in this church but let's just face it not everybody in this church do you want to open yourself up to you've got to know that that person loves you and they've got your back. You've got to know that they're not going to be going and spreading it around and, you know, going on to Facebook and say, well, you know what I heard about such and such today. You've got to know that they love you very deeply and that they are, they're not going to be uh, stabbing you in the back with this. That's why we've got to grow our relationships deeper. And this is not the place where we can do that. That's why these are so important for us. These small groups are so important for us, for our discipleship, for our growth, for us to become the person that Jesus created us to be. It's so powerful when we are able to do that. The last thing is this. A sense of awe develops when lives are changed through our community. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many sign, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So you see, uh, Well, let me just put it this way. Have you ever walked into a restaurant or a cafe and seen a group of men sitting around a table talking with one another? Uh, Well, I I see it every Monday. (laughs) You know, I go with these old goats. I'm not an old goat, but they've let me come anyway. And I'm going to keep confessing that I'm not an old goat till the day I die. 
But, uh, you know, if you've ever walked in on a group like that, you know, especially a little country cafe where you got people that have lived there their whole lives and, and they're just sitting around talking. You probably heard them and they're talking about their lives and you hear them. And, and this happens on, you know, with our, our group on Monday morning. You know, they'll be talking about things they've done together. I've heard stories about the past from people in this community that I'm pretty sure that I could probably uh, commit some blackmail, uh, you know, just because the things that I've heard, the things that I know, and they're sharing these memories. And now really, honestly, some of their stories are lies. They defy, defy the laws of gravity, you know, like one says, remember that time when I jumped my tractor over the barn and landed in the next county? You know, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Uh, you know, Never tell you about the time I, I, I killed those two grizzly bears with a switch? <laughs> no, you, you didn't. But it's, you know, they're just sitting around talking and having fun. Anyway, they're talking, telling stories and talking about their lives together. But here's what I think about. There's going to come a day when we're going to be sitting around a table at, at breakfast at Shake Shack. And we're going to be telling stories. And, and, and I, I, I have to ask myself, what kind of stories are we going to be able to tell? Are there going to be stories that will create awe? See, here, here's something I can't help but wonder. You know, for people who church hop, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they, they, they never tie into the body of Christ. They just kind of attend here, attend there, go here, go there. My question, what I wonder about is, what will they have to talk about? What will they, when they're in their 70s and they're sitting around drinking coffee, what are they going to talk about? You know what I think they'll have? To, the only thing they're going to have to talk about is sermons and songs. Because they're not going to be able to talk about lives being changed by the gospel because they were never involved enough to actually see that happen. They're too busy shopping around and going from place to place and saying, well, this place meets my needs. Oh, now I don't like it. And let me go, this place meets my needs. And they never tie into the body of Christ and never get to know anybody. They never develop those intimate relationships. So they never see the changes that take place. They're, they're not talking about when marriages were healed and when their neighbors were saved. They're not talking about when workplaces were impacted by Christ. They're not talking about the miracles God did on missions trips that they took. I mean, what are the stories that go along with mere attendance at a church? What are the stories that, that accompany that? There is no, listen, there, I hope you're taking notes, but there's no awe in sermon notes. I hope you love the music here, but there's no awe in music. There's awe in lives that are changed changed lives that were broken that have been healed lives that were upside down that are set right side up there's all in marriages that were that were falling apart that the holy spirit brought together and healed that's where the awe is see people who never tie into the body of christ will never have a sense of awe about what god has done and here's what i know you become a critic when you're not in the game i'm a football fan and I know a lot of the rules of football. And it's really easy for me to watch a game on television and say, what is that guy doing? What an idiot. He has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know in my life. Because when you're not in a game, you become a critic. And then in the church, when you're not in the game, you become a critic. And the whole church experience has to be about you and it has to be about what you like. 
And this is the reason why so many people have no awe in their lives. Because where, where, what is there to be in awe about there? See, this thing, following Jesus, is inescapably corporate. And, and, it is, and, and the more individualized it becomes, the more difficult, if not impossible, it is to mature in Jesus. This is hard for us because we live in a very individualized culture that's becoming more and more individualized, which, by the way, next week, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be closing this up with talking about how pursuing life this way, how it creates massive amounts of anxiety in our lives and what the Lord can do to begin to bring peace to your life. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be awesome. I say that in faith. (laughs) Even in our individual pursuit. When we do it individualized instead of together with others, what begins to happen is that we acquire all kinds of knowledge, but we have no real way to push that knowledge out and do something with it. So we read and we say, okay, the Lord says, the Bible says that I'm to encourage one another daily. That's great. But if I don't have relationships with other people, how am I going to do that? So in the end, even with all of our theological brilliance, we become cold, hard-hearted people who don't weep with those who weep, who don't rejoice with those who rejoice, and we would never, ever think of selling our property to help others. After all, they got themselves in that predicament. Why should I do anything? You know, the church before Constantine got his hands on it was this group of people that was fiercely committed to teaching and learning the way of Jesus and doing it together. And we barely see a shadow of that these days in the Western church. It's almost the opposite, in fact. You know what? This, I, was, I was watching a, a sort of a documentary. Wednesday night I mentioned that the fastest growing church in the world is the church in Iran. That's a shocking thing to a lot of people because you think about Iran and you think about it being a, you know, a Muslim dictatorship and how they suppress the truth. But there is no church in the world that is growing faster than the church in Iran. And you know what they're doing? They're not building churches. They're not planning churches. They don't think in, the way, in terms of planning churches. They're making disciples. And as they're making disciples, God is filling this, them with this Holy Spirit boldness. And they're, I, I, I'm telling you, they, they talk, there's a woman who, 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 who gave testimony on this and they had to blur it out and change her voice for her protection. But she talked about how the fact that she and her husband, she said, when I leave the house every day, I know I may not be coming back home. I know that if they catch me, they're going to beat me. They're going to rape me. And eventually they're going to kill me. And my husband and I know, we, we have this understanding that when we leave the house, uh, we, neither one of us, we may not come back. We may not live through this thing. But they said, you know what? I'm not living for this life. I'm living for eternity. And as they do that, what they do, they say, we pray and the Holy Spirit shows us who we need to talk to. And he shows us what part of our testimony we need to, we need to share with them. And they begin just through conversation. Th- their viewpoint, their, this is how they see it. This is exactly what we were talking about last week. In their mindset discipleship begins the moment they meet a person and their goal is to lead them to christ and if it costs them their life so be it and the church is flourishing it's it's exploding in that nation see that's the cause for awe 
but we don't have that very often today. This idea of really walking together in intimacy is difficult. And we, you know, we come and we hear a message like this and, and, you know, and then we say, yes, I'll get in a small group, mutual care, fellowship, iron sharpening iron. Yes, I'll do it. And then we go to the small group and we're like, but not with these people. <laughs> I, I don't like these people. Can I tell you why community and fellowship and doing the life together is so difficult? It's not, listen, the problem is not that other people stink. That's not the problem. Community is difficult because we have to be honest about our own issues in order to get deep with other people. It's because our own issues, issues boil to the top and, and, and most people don't want to deal with their own garbage. They just want to talk about other people's. That's why it's quiet in here today. So when you try to do life deeply with others, what happens is we come face to face with the, with the reality that we have put this barrier up around ourselves and we're there and we say, I need to say this, I need to say this, I need to say this. But inside you're thinking, I'm just having a hard time letting myself go here. And we say, it's too risky to be real. I want no part of it. Well, listen, you can't say that, it's, that, that because it's risky, I'm not going to do it. If we think that way, you know what? Then none of us are, would ever get married because marriage is risky. None of us would ever have kids because trust me, kids are risky. Can I get an amen? You know, we, we certainly wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't ever travel anyway, anywhere because the, look at the risk on that. I mean, you're driving down the street. You're taking a risk that that other person might not stay on their side of the road. Or if you, if you fly somewhere, you're taking a risk. We, we don't, see, we don't apply that standard to any other area of our life except when it comes to this. Because the truth is, everything is risky to some degree. But what I'm trying to tell you today is this. The reward of being real and honest is worth the risk. Because what comes into your life, the depth of relationship, the depth of love that you can not only now experience, but now you can receive because you're not being the fake you anymore. The, 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 the depth of the, what the Holy Spirit is able to do in your life because now you're, you're not hanging on and hiding behind things. You're letting Him do His work and He's, he's using His body and His people to, to help you and to spur you on and to cheer you on. And all of a sudden you begin to realize, man, there's, there's more that God has for me than I ever thought. The, the reward is worth the risk. So... Today, I'm just going to ask you to get in the game. We have a lot of work to be done in terms of teaching and forging and creating community. We're going to need the Holy Spirit working through you to help. We've been given gifts, and you need to get in the game. And listen, I want you to understand something. I'm, I, this church, uh, I, don't, I don't want you to, to take it wrong. I don't want you to think, wow, he just thinks that we're just really the disconnected bunch of, group, bunch of people. That's what I'm saying. This church is probably more connected than any other church that I have been in. But I'm saying, all I'm saying is, there's more and it can be even better. There's more and it can be even better. I said it before, I believe this is a, a great church. But it can be even better. The truth is, I can't do it for you. We can form small groups. 
We can work hard to encourage you to get involved. However, even if you get involved, you can still be a pretender in a small group. I can't, I can't make it. You can still walk into a small group and pretend that everything's fine when it's not. I'm fine. I'm great. Well, well just the other day I was reading in Luke, and by the other day you meant 1987. You, know? you can pretend. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. This is what we miss. Jesus says that he loves the broken and contrite in spirit. The irony is that, is that, that he, Jesus never, ever grows tired of us telling him that, that we can't on our own and that we are broken without him. Jesus never gets tired of honest confession and honest cries for help. On the other hand, he says in his word that he can't stand it when we flap our lips at him, but our hearts are far from him. So we've got this really weird thing happening where we spend all this energy and all this effort trying to build this thing around us to make ourselves look a certain way. And when we do that, the only thing we really accomplish is that we isolate ourselves from the very Jesus who can heal us. See, we have it all backwards. We want to act like we're well. But Jesus says, I really like to hang out with the sick folks. He says, I didn't come for the well. The well don't need a doctor for us to be able to be honest and say, okay, you know what? I like to pretend I have it all together, but I don't. I have my struggles. I have my areas. I have areas where, where I have doubts. I have areas where, where, where I, I struggle to get through the day. And, and there have, you know, that it, to be honest, to drop the act. It creates something, an intimacy, and it helps us help each other to grow. And that's what we've been called to do. And I'll say this. I'll add this. Mary Beth, come on up. Man, I want you to understand. I think that you and I especially are typically not verbal and tend to be stuffed full of pride. I'm, and I'm example A. You say, not verbal. Have you, you know how long you've been preaching, Pastor Dave? <laughs> it's different when I'm talking about myself. We, we don't want to admit that we don't have, have our marriages and our money figured out. We don't want to admit that we don't fully understand our wife. <laughs> and we never will. It's okay. It's okay. And because we don't want to admit that, there's a lot of men... Who, who feel very alone even though they have a lot of friends because they don't have any deep spiritual friends that can speak into their life. So I pray that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, would, would give us the courage to, do, to be his people and to do life together. See, that's the church I see. One day... When we're sitting around that table, you know, and we're, now some of you, I, you're going to have to catch up to me. <laughs> you know, some of you are a lot younger than me, but, you know, you'll be in your 70s and I'll be, you know, barely hanging on, whatever, whatever age that would be. I want to be able to sit around that table with you and say, hey, man, you remember when that, 
that gang member came through the back doors of the church and the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and how, 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 how Lee took him under his wing and showed him what it meant to be a man of God. And now he's a preacher. He's, he's pastoring a church. Or now he's a missionary and he's in the inner city reaching other gang members. Or, or I want our, our stories to be you remember when that couple came and their marriage was on its last legs and as, as the people of God, we just kind of took them in and, the, and those three or four married couples that, that were still, that were growing in the Lord, they, they took them under their wing and they showed them what it meant to be a godly husband and a godly wife. And now they're, they're teaching seminars on Christian marriage and helping other people. So I want our stories to be not about, you remember when that preacher came and said something? I want our stories not to be about, man, you remember that epic Super Bowl party? I don't want our stories to, to be about, man, you, you remember when we got new carpet in the church that was so nice? I want our stories to be about lives that are changed. And the only pathway through that, for that, is the pathway of discipleship. That's why our small groups is not an add-on. This is absolutely vital to who we, we, I feel God has called us to be as a church. So I want you to be praying. I want you, you know, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take a step. I'm not asking you to run a marathon. I'm not even asking you to, to run a 100-meter dash. My day was a 100-yard dash, and we went metric. I'm asking you to take a step. So if you've been hearing me talk about this and you've been thinking, no, nah, I don't think that's for me, I don't want to do that, it challenges you, take a step. Say, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll step in. I'll see what you can do. And if you're already committed and you're saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to get in a small group, I want you to take a step further than that and say, I'm not just going to get in a small group. I'm going to pour myself into that. I'm going to, I'm going to give it my best. Wherever you are. That, that, that's, all, that's all we're asking. I think that's all the Lord ever asks of, asks of us. He doesn't ask me to run 10 years down the road. He wants me to do what I can do right now in this next minute. So take a step. Take the next step. Take the next step so that you can grow in Jesus, wherever you are. Let's pray together. Father, it's hard for me to, to describe, Lord, the love you've put in my heart for these people.